0: Welcome to Off the Looking Glass, I'm Kate Fagan. I'm Jessica Smetana. Episode two of Off the Looking Glass, since we have rebooted. Jess, what do you think?
2: I think we're off to a great start, and this episode is going to be even better, especially Mm -hmm. if you're from the state of Tennessee, because there's a lot of Tennessee things happening in this episode, Kate.
0: Yeah, and Tennessee is a beacon for women's sports for all the reasons we know. So we've got Kelly Jolly Harper on this episode, And then we've got a new conceit featuring Cheryl Miller, but talking about Pat Summit. So this is like Southern, this is Southern home cooking here from Tennessee.
2: Tell us more about this new conceit. What should our listeners expect when we get to this part of the episode?
0: Well, they can expect some banjo playing. um, Some banjo. Yep. Some crackling fire because the conceit is called campfire and it's essentially... Anytime an athlete or really anybody tells us a story that we think stands alone, we don't need to interrupt them. We don't need to add sound effects except maybe a banjo. We are going to play a story as if around the campfire for you about the lore and history of women's sports. So this new conceit is called campfire. And here we can have some crackling fire just to tease people about what's to come.
2: I love this idea. You came up with it. So credit to you, Kate. Uh, We also, before we get to all of that, there was another thing that happened in Tennessee recently. Mm -hmm. The She Believes Cup was happening last week, and we wanted to talk about it briefly because, Kate, I've noticed more so than in previous years, the name of the She Believes Cup has been getting roasted on Twitter. Have you seen any of this animosity towards the She Believes Cup name? I have not seen it on Twitter, but I can say from the
0: outset of the She Believes Cup, from the origin of the She Believes Cup, which is a US, Team USA soccer uh, event, just in case our listeners don't know, I have always internally cringed at the name <laughs> She Believes Cup. So I'm happy to see that it is now external cringing that is happening all across America.
2: Yeah, I looked into the official reasoning behind the name She Believes for the She Believes Cup, and this was on the U.S. soccer website. It says, inspired by the U.S. women's national team players, She Believes is an initiative led by U.S. soccer to inspire and encourage women and girls. The campaign launched in the run-up to the 2015 Women's World Cup and has since grown into a powerful message of empowerment and believing in oneself. So we've already talked a lot on the show about how, like, women's sports, we were, like, we inspire and empower and mm-hmm. believe in ourselves and each other. And in, and little girls look up to us. And it's like never the messaging around men's sports where it's like we win and we're good at sports. Mm-hmm. So, Kate, I don't know if you can come up off the top of your head with a better name yeah. for the She Believes Cup. I've been trying to think of like a worse <laughs> name and I'm not sure if I can think of one because, no. yeah, all of the messaging... The- And it's not a bad message. I'm not saying that these are negative things, but it is a difference in how we market these tournaments, right? It's basically the little girls look up to us cup. Right. If she can see it, she can be it cup. Yeah.
0: We could make it worse by calling it the Shiro's cup. Oh, God, I hate that.
2: I hate Shiro's. And also, like, have you seen people say, like, her story instead of, like, history? Oh, yes. Does that piss you off? (laughs) Yeah, it kind of annoys me,
0: too. The original back copy for my book Hoop Muses, somebody had written from the publishing team, the history of women's basketball. No, and I was like, no, no, delete, delete, delete. So, I mean, we're gonna have to at some point come up, and we're gonna have to rename the. Shiga I hate Moves it. Cup. Get the
2: gender pronouns out of here. I guess if it were named after the chant, like. You know, we she believe believed. that we will win. That's kind of yeah. what I thought. And then I read this thing on the U.S. Soccer website and I was like, no, this is just an ode to like inspiring little girls, which isn't a bad thing. I'm not saying inspiring little girls is a bad thing, but I don't know why this tournament has to be named after that.
0: I think we can crystallize our frustrations with the name the she believes cup by referring to the iconic Sarah Silverman stand up comedy that we will play now. Stop telling girls they can be anything they want when they grow up. I think, I think it's a mistake. Not because they can't, but because it would have never occurred to them they couldn't.
2: And I think that is the frustration behind the She Believes Cup. It's never just about winning a game and being victorious and a champion. There has to be some sort of like moral imperative to playing sports. Like we have to to do all this extra stuff too.
0: And well, we have a moral imperative to tell our listeners how amazing this episode is going to be. So they should stick around because this is kind of like a bluegrassy, banjo playing Tennessee episode that you're in for today. Our guest today is from Sparta, Tennessee. She was one of the starting point guards for the Tennessee Lady Balls who won three consecutive NCAA championships, including that undefeated team from 1997 to 1998. She's a three-time NCAA champion and currently the head coach of the Tennessee Lady Vols. All right, let's do it. Let's bring her on. Kelly Jolly Harper. Pat is a legendary cook, right? She was a great cook is what I hear. I would never ate her food. Did
3: you have a favorite thing that she made? Do you have a dish you remember her making? I loved the mashed potatoes. Loved the mashed potatoes and her cooking was so southern, middle Tennessee, and that's where I'm from. I mean, it was so welcoming and so at home. Now, she could she could do some bougie stuff. I mean, she could put some shrimp out there, you know, and and some fancy stuff, but I loved the green beans mashed potatoes. We'd have some chicken. I, I love that. It was comforting.
2: Is that something that you have uh, carried on and and now you cook for your players?
3: Yeah, I love, I love cooking for our team. I don't do it hardly any anymore. Just the time is just so limited, but I'll I'll never forget my first year coaching. I was so proud that I had cooked for our team. So proud. And I wanted Pat to know. And so grabbed my player and I brought her over. I'm like, yeah I mean Pat you'd be I think you'd be impressed you know (laughs) for the team they they enjoyed it didn't they and I'm telling the girl answer this correctly right you know make sure you're saying the right thing and Pat goes oh that's great did did she cook you steak she goes no she goes shrimp no crab legs and at this point I'm like gee thanks and she goes well I mean you know that's what I cook (laughs) you know (laughs) okay You know, just get my legs out in front of my player. Uh, But I mean, that was Pat. She loved, uh, she was so, I didn't know this as a player. You don't get to always see the other side of your coach as a player, but she was so funny, witty, charming, to be honest with you. I would never have used that word as a player, but she was.
0: When you were playing and you're coming up and you're in Tennessee, just the state of Tennessee, and you play at Tennessee are you one of those coaches who all along you were like, I'm definitely going to be a coach or what was your process of actually getting into coaching?
3: Yeah. So I knew early on, I knew in high school, I wanted to coach. My dad was a coach and he was a high school coach for many years. And my mom and dad both played college basketball. So I just thought I was going to coach in high school. I knew I wanted to coach. I came here, came to Tennessee, majored in math, Minored in secondary ed because I was gonna be a math teacher because my dad was an assistant principal as well. And he always told me if you're a math teacher, you'll always have a job. I was like, all right, well, that sounds like a good idea. At some point during my sophomore year, I remember thinking, you know what, I want to try this college coaching thing, kind of changed my thoughts. I still kept my major and, and whatnot, but I loved it so much. I loved the X's and O's and the intensity and the competitiveness. And that's why I chose this path.
0: Did it ever cross your mind that you could become the coach of Tennessee? It seems like something that might not because Pat was there for so long and then there into your career. So when was the first moment you thought, wait, I
3: could be the Tennessee coach? When they called me. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I think Pat in passing a couple times while I was here said, oh, you'll probably be the coach here someday. But it was in passing. I never took it serious. It was just kind of a, you know, a joke in that moment. I think she even said it in passing. I don't think she was had put much thought into that, but she did say it. I do remember that, but it never resonated with me. And I think you hit it right. This was Pat's job. This was going to be Pat's job. No one was ever going to coach Tennessee other than Pat's on it. And um, so to have a goal of coaching here, just that, wouldn't have made sense, so to speak. So now, when they called me and said, "Would you be interested?" Then I was like, "Oh, that looked like a great idea." <laughs> you hear people
0: talk about parenting, where they sometimes they they have kids and then they want to right the wrongs of the things that their parent had done. You see, like the pendulum swing, right? If somebody's too big of a disciplinarian, they want they want to have kids and like give them freedom. Is there any parallel like that with coaching, where? things that you lived as a player. You're like, "Mm, I don't know that I'm going to do
3: that with my program. I think so. In a, for me, I always thought I like that or, you know, that's not me, you know, and I've seen different coaches and I've tried to pull things from different coaches, whether I played for them or coached under them and said, you know, this, I think this would work for me at the end of the day, it's still going to be me. I thought I would be this way or a certain way, And then when you slide over, what what they talk about, the 17 inches, you slide over to that head coaching seat and then you're just you, you takes over. And I think that's for me, the the biggest thing, I'm not trying to be somebody else. I'm not trying to not be somebody else. I'm just, it's going to be me.
0: Yeah. I played at Colorado and our football team, then there was one time we walked into the weight room. And they've been there since 6 a.m. Somebody was late to something and they were forward rolling on the football field until somebody vomited. And then you like you investigate it further. It turns out whatever coach instituted that punishment had been made to do that as a punishment 15 years earlier. And sometimes I think with coaches, I'm like, is that always the best thing to be doing? Like Things that you endured, just like passing it forward almost as like sometimes seen as a rite of passage. But then from another respect, it can be like. We don't always need to necessarily do the traumatic things to the next generation. Is that something you have thought about that you think about? Like, just because I had to do 2800s doesn't mean that I need to make my kids do that.
3: Yeah, I think times change. As a coach, it's my opinion, you have to adapt. That doesn't mean I have to change who I am. And it doesn't mean I have to change my values and what I stand for. But the methods, yeah, I, I do. I, I have to adapt. and. The generations are changing rapidly right now. In five years, the, the last five years, they're completely different than the past. So I think that's important. One thing I'll say, I'll go back to Pat on this. Even she changed. So, as a player in the late 90s, I'm dating myself, we'll go ahead, we'll go there. <laughs> um, she used to bring back alums, and alums would tell us how mellow she was and how much easier we had it. And we thought they were, I mean, you've got to be kidding me. You've not, you've seen us practice. Right. But she did the same thing. I mean, they ran until somebody puked, you know, like she set out trash cans, times change. And I think the thing about Pat that made her so consistent in a hunt for championships, she did adapt. She did change with the times. Again, she never changed who she was. She was always true to herself and she was always tough, always tough. But to get the best out of people, I think she adapted when she needed to.
2: You mentioned that the generations are changing like very quickly now in college athletics, maybe just like outside of college athletics too, but one of the obvious things that's happened in the last few years is the NIL rules changing, and this is one of like the biggest shifts we've ever seen in college athletics, I think. So how do you stay up with that and adapt to something where you, you can't really ask anyone older than you for advice because they've never had to deal with anything like this before.
3: It's a challenge. You know, we we're here and we, we have a hand in so many aspects of our players lives, right? You know, we're, we're there to help them to make sure they're their best and in so many areas. And then all of a sudden here's this big thing. I mean, huge, something that they've never experienced. And, we're pretty hands-off in this area. I think that's one of the hardest things for me is, you know, you want to help. You want to be there and be a part of it. And we're, we have to be pretty hands-off. We're trying to find ways to support our team and to support our players in this new area. But things change daily. And you better be flexible. You better be willing to adapt. You better be willing to figure it out or you'll get left behind. Yeah. And, um, you know, I don't know where we're going next. I have no idea what it's going to look like in a year. I have no idea. All I know is what's going on now. And we've just got to be our best in this space for our players and look at it as an opportunity. If they have an opportunity, it's a great opportunity. We just want to educate them so they're making great decisions and they're putting themselves in position to be successful, not just now, but in the future.
0: So last season on Off the Looking Glass, We were doing a story on Michelle Marciniak and that legendary tale of Pat going on the plane and and going into labor, which I'm sure you know very well. But one thing that came out of it in in reading the history was stumbling upon this Sports Illustrated story from maybe the 80s, where Tennessee had been accused by other programs of of being transfer you, because Pat apparently at that time had taken too many transfers and then so she didn't, she was like, Well, I don't want, you know, I don't want that designation. So then she didn't take transfers for like six years or something. And then Michelle broke that because of their history together. There's no question in that, just as a question. But did you know that story? Did you know that, that Tennessee was once called Transfer You? It was, I should send you some of the quotes in that Sports Illustrated article because it was nuts that anyone ever considered Pat in Tennessee as like. I don't know, makeshift in some way. It was strange. But did you know that?
3: Honestly, I did not know that. I knew the second part. I knew when Michelle came, I knew that she kind of broke a trend that Pat was not going to take a transfer that she had recruited and told her no. That was her stance. And uh, somehow Michelle wiggled around that (laughs) (laughs) and figured out how to present her case to Pat to be able to let Pat be a little bit more open-minded. And I think that's where that shows you again. Yeah. She adapted when she needed to. She went, she was here, she went here and she went back, you know? So I think she, at the end of the day, she was competitive and she may not have liked all the rules that we had, but she was going to sit down and figure them out, you know? And I think that was important to her success.
2: When you're making a pitch to a player to come to Tennessee, Like, how do you keep them bought in and like sticking with you and not trying to then transfer out themselves to make an opportunity somewhere else? That seems like something that'd be very difficult for a coach. I think
3: things like that are going to happen. I I really do. But I think the best thing you can do as a coach is to be very open and very honest and have great communication. Your relationship with them is unbelievably important uh, that you can have those honest conversations. You know, I want our players to be happy and healthy and confident and I want it to be here but if it's not then I get it I'll help them you know and we've been very fortunate that our players love being here and they're bought in and you know enjoy what we're trying to do
0: every recruit I'm hoping I'm presenting this as it has to be factual even if they're 20 and you know UT's heyday was 15 not well I don't know there's a long heyday Every recruit knows Tennessee's epic history. You don't have to teach them, right? Like they know it.
3: Well, we remind them. Uh, their parents know it. Their parents yes. know it. Their coaches know it. Okay. So um, Tennessee calling is a big deal. You know, uh, Candace Parker, it's a big deal. They may not have seen it firsthand, but they know it. You know, one of the things that I've said, we'll walk in and there's a picture of Pat, you know, we got a statue, we got murals, we got band, we got all kinds of things. There's a picture of Pat and I'll say, you know who that is, right? And they all say yes, but I'm telling you the first time somebody says no, my heart is going to break. "Uh Picture of Pat, you know who that is, right? Picture of Pat, we got a statue, we got murals, we got band, we got all kinds of, all this. uh, Picture of Pat, you know who that is.
0: Pat Summit, Pat Summit, Pat Summit, Pat Summit, Pat Summit, Jess. Jess, whenever anyone's mentioning Pat Summit, which is usually me, we always have to take a detour. Because mm-hmm. Kelly Jolly up there, up on the surface, mentioned it hasn't happened yet, thankfully. But if there's ever a young women's player who comes in, especially being recruited by Tennessee, and doesn't know who Pat Summit is, that is just so incredibly sad to me. I can't imagine it ever happening.
2: I can't either. But it also made me think of how now we've reached a point in our streaming movie documentary saturation where there's a documentary about so many sports figures and that things that only happened like 20 years ago are being turned into 30 for 30s. Like I saw there was a 30 for 30 about the 2000 Ravens football team which seems like it happened Yesterday. super right? Yes. Like your your facial expression is like, yeah, that just happened. Yeah. But they're already making documentaries about it. So now I'm thinking like, who's the sports figure that is so obvious to us that in 10 years there will be a documentary about? And the youngest generation will be like, oh, I never knew about her. Or I never knew that they did that. And I don't know if Pat Summit is the answer because she is so... I think, ubiquitous with women's sports yeah. that she would be difficult to forget. But there's definitely someone out there, like there's a a U.S. Women's National Team player or like a Brandi Chastain. Mm-hmm. And in 10 years, there's going to be a documentary and there's going to be 15 year olds that are five years old right now that are like, oh, who is she? And it's going to make me physically crumble yeah. into dust. Well, I had thought on one hand, I was like, well, our
0: new world with all this social media and information, this kind of thing won't happen anymore because now all information is so readily available. But then I was like, well, why, why would life be any different in this modern age? We always are forgetting our heroes and introducing new heroes. This is a slight detour, but I went down a rabbit hole the other day watching old Whitney Houston videos on YouTube because I had forgotten how great her voice was. And so I'm sitting there listening to I Will Always Love You. And I was like, oh, my God, I needed to be reminded that Whitney Houston was incredible. So maybe that's all we need to do. Just we are just here to continue to remind people of the Pat Summits and the Cheryl Millers and the Mia Hams and the Brandy Chastains and the Muffet McGraws. See what I did there? Yeah, I
2: like that. I think you have never stopped reminding people about Pat Summit, though, as long as we've made this podcast and, you know. <laughs> Credit to you, because it's a good person to remind people about. <laughs> Insert Pat Summit audio here.
3: Every possession matters. Take pride in every possession. It's a game of possessions. It's also a game of wheels. See how tough we are this time. <laughs> Wait,
0: should we go back up to the coach who replaced Pat Summit? Should we do that? <laughs> Let's do it.
2: These
3: kids are growing up now. They didn't see her. They didn't watch Pat. They know of her because they, you know, they've seen some things, but they didn't watch her. So they, they do have to be educated a little bit.
2: And when that happens, we need to like start really putting the gas pedal on, making some more movies and documentaries about those teams, right? I was gonna say. Uh, I'll, write,
3: I'll write it down. Okay, so I need you to Google this, right? Let's write down. You know, let's figure this out. Yeah. Well, to that
0: point, Jess and Kelly, I think there I mean, you would know more than I, Kelly. But like I think that there is a movie in the works about your 98 team that went undefeated, 39 and 0 and won the title. So hopefully those young kids who didn't see Pat will be reminded through Hollywood glory. But to that point of that team, was that
3: the best team ever? I mean, I would like to say so. (laughs) Do it then. Say it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, sure.
3: It was the best team ever. It was funny because we were a few of us were together for um, to make a catchings the catch ninety eight video and it was put together really well done and we were talking about it and you know there have been some there have been so many great teams right and and other great teams that went undefeated and we were all talking we're like you know we we would have won right like we would have figured it out because we just felt like that's who we were we just felt like we were so competitive that I don't. Didn't matter who was going to walk in, walk on the court. We were going to beat them. And we had a few close games, and we pulled it out. I think that's always a telling sign of a team when you when you do have some close games. Because you're not going to be perfect every night. But I just thought, man, we had the superstars. We had the role players. You know, we had the belief. We had the coach that whatever she said went, you know, sky was purple today. Well, then, you know what? Sky was purple. Let's go. So I think I think we had all the right pieces. So I'd love to say, yeah, we we were the best ever.
0: I mean, I think if you add it all up, like impact, moment, star power, coach power, in my book, it's the best team ever. Well, I think
3: the impact that we had on women's basketball in that moment, I don't think we understood what was going on in that moment. And that's something that you can reflect back. On 10, 15, 20 years after the fact. You can really understand what was happening and the game grew during that time because people mm-hmm. tuned the in, they wanted to see what this was all about and I think it was important.
0: So do you have any advice for us? You're in the thick of women's college basketball. We're in the media. What do you want to see the media do differently when it comes to women's college basketball?
3: You know, I think there, there's so much parity right now. There are so many good teams and there are so many good players, so many compelling stories. I think there are going to be a lot of really good basketball games this year. And to be honest with you, it may not be the same players that's always been there. Right. And now, granted, I do believe Tennessee is one of those. I think we're one that's always talked about. I think we've reaped a lot of benefits and from our legacy but I coached at a uh, mid-major level for forever. And I, we, there were some great teams out there. And I just think rivalries, compelling stories. I said, think just broadening the scope and introducing people to more. I think that's important. Now, don't get me wrong. I get what sells. you know, I understand that people want to know what People want to know what Tennessee's doing. People want to know what South Carolina's doing, what UConn's doing. People want to know those things. And I I get that. That's part of our game. I mean, we have to have the powerhouse schools as part of the conversation. But I also think there's a lot of talent out there outside those common names.
0: Okay, last one before we let you go. And if you had to play one song before a game, You're not playing it for your team because I'm I'm assuming that would clash. But for you, if you had a big game and you were in your office and you were like, "I'm I gotta jam out before this," what song are you playing?
3: If I'm about to go play, like, and I want to get myself fired up, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go back to the '90s. I'm going with Tootsie Roll. Let
1: me see the Tootsie Roll.
3: Okay. Yeah, I'm going straight up Tootsie Roll because that's bringing back a really good vibe. I was balling back when Tootsie Roll was playing. I'm probably going to be feeling pretty good about myself. Um, As a coach, I probably need something a little bit newer, you know. Um, I'll probably jam out to some Magic Dragons or something like that as a coach now. Was Tootsie Roll on your high school warm-up tape? It was on my pre-game playlist. Your pre-pre-game playlist. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't It was on, they didn't play over the speakers, but yeah. maybe, Tootsie Roll was my, that was my jam. Was there a dance you did with Tootsie Roll? I mean, I did the Tootsie Roll. I did the Tootsie Roll. Okay, I don't even know what the, I couldn't execute
0: the Tootsie Roll without Googling it first. And I won't, <laughs> I mean, it's a podcast, so I won't make you do it. But there is a dance the to Tootsie Roll, I
3: guess. Yes, okay. there is. Yes, there is. You get a dip. I mean, Alive. You just follow the instructions when they're telling you what to do.
0: That's what I like. I like when they tell me how to dance so I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> All right, Coach Slash Kelly, thank you so much for making time for us. Absolutely. Appreciate being here. Thank you so much. All right, good luck. We'll be watching. segment we're calling campfire the voice you're about to hear is that of cheryl miller star of the university of southern california in the 1980s telling a story about when she first started playing for pat summit on the u.s olympic team
1: okay um pat hated me and for good reason great reason i was cocky because I had two 6'3 twins and I had Cynthia Cooper, you know, so I could afford to be cocky. So it was a semi-final game in the NCAA tournament. We're playing at UCLA at Poly Pavilion. We win the game and I do a cartwheel in front of their bench. I was just excited. I was just excited that we're going to the finals and it wasn't like near their bench. I was still on the court but it was in front of their bench and i just did a cartwheel and jumped up and jumped in the arms you know one of my teammates and you know doing the whole thing and i didn't know that she had been watching watching the whole thing so fast forward to the olympics make the team not much dealing with her she's just you know directing you know i want to see this i want to see that you know not really hands-on and uh Yeah, I found out how much she didn't like me. She was the female Bobby Knight. I mean, tough as nails, didn't play. And we were in, I think it was Taipei, Taiwan. And I'm having the worst game I've ever had, ever played. I mean, I'm talking from kindergarten. I couldn't even make a layup. And so I go for a layup. I get low-bridged. Fall on my back, ball's coming through, I'm on my back. So I kind of kicked the ball, not like hard, but just kick the ball so it wouldn't hit me. We go in at halftime, she lines everybody up, and she just undresses everybody, going down the line. You know, you this, you this, you this, you, and she skips me. And I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus. And we're all walking out, she's like, oh, wait, 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 wait. I forgot one special person. And I'm like, oh, here we go. Here we go. Cheryl Miller, let me tell you something. I will win or lose a gold medal without you. And so the one thing that I knew she wanted to do was make me cry. And that's the last thing. Because she, you know... She had made certain people on her team, I'm not going to mention the names, cry. I'm like, I'm not going to be the one. I'm not going to be the one, but I'm doing this. <laughs> it's just allergies, you know, just trying to play it all. Get on the court, warm up halftime, buzzer, time to go in. So I go running on the court. She goes, where are you going? So jump on. So, She goes, no you're not, sit down. And she benched me the second half. But I think the following week we had individual coach player meetings. And so I came in her room, sat down and I was quiet. I just wanted to listen. And she's like, well, you know, you do this well, you do this well, I wish da da da. And I, I didn't say anything. And she goes, can I ask you a question? And I said, well, it's your room, you're the coach. And she goes, why do you have to be so flamboyant? And I go, what? What do you mean flamboyant? And she goes, well, you can't just make a good play and just make a good play and just leave it alone. You got to do all this extra. And I said, well, what do you consider extra? And she goes, well, just, you know, chest bumping and this and all, you know, waving your fists and jumping around and, you know, sometimes dance. I'm like, coach that's how i play i play with a lot of emotions and you know i don't see a lot of emotion from you so i'm just trying to help you out too so that's why i get excited about playing and that's not going to change and if that's an issue with you then yeah you can bench me but i will tell you this coach summit you won't win a gold medal without me and i got up and walked out the room and ever since then, ever, the, the rest of the way, my mom gave me a gold cross. And so I would take it off before I went on the court, put it around her neck. That was our thing for the rest of the way for the Olympics. And we ended up being very, very tight, very, very close. I think when she found out it was genuine and it wasn't me trying to belittle anyone, or make myself bigger than the game, it's just the emotion and the excitement and how I played. She saw that, realized it, and I think that's when her wall came down and her opinions about me basically dissolved. And I think she she realized after coaching me, she had to coach differently if she wanted to get to the next level with black athletes. I'm just gonna put it, I'm, I'm just gonna keep it real. She had to coach them differently. And I think I, I helped her. I think our entire Olympic team helped her because we all had different personalities, but she knew she couldn't coach Holtzclaw, Candace Parker, the black players. She couldn't coach them like everyone else. Now I'm just keeping, I'm keeping hundred percent.
2: I feel like I could go for a s'more right now.
0: Ooh. S'mores are pretty much the worst dessert ever though, don't you think?
2: What? Oh, okay. I have to ask you a question now and I don't want to spoil anything, but have you seen the movie, The Menu? Of course I have and yes. Oh God, (laughs) the ending was so good. I think s'mores are great. Yes, they're sticky, they're gross. It's impossible to get the ratio right, the hot-cold right. Again, a complete mess, but it's fun. It's an activity, Kate. What's wrong with that? Yeah, I do love the activity of a s'more.
0: I just don't really ever finish the whole s'more for all of the reasons you've talked about. Like, I would
2: rather bake over an open fire like an apple crisp or something, Uh, you know? Wow, that sounds like so much work. A s'more is three ingredients. You light your little, are you a marshmallow on fire person or you like try to singe it or what? How do you like your marshmallow or you just don't do s'mores at all? Well, when I do it, I'm hoping to singe it and I'm
0: hoping to cook it equally throughout, but it ends up catching on fire and then you panic. Which is, which is fun. And then you blow it
2: out and you're like, oh my God, my marshmallow's on fire.
0: <laughs> but but then. It's all part of the fun. One part of it is charred and the other part isn't even anything. It's just still okay. all textured marshmallow. So I think if you bring a pre-made apple crisp, and but you're just cooking it over the open fire, you can have a very similar
2: experience. What? Who has time for that? You have like a sous chef camping with you? I do. No. I do. That is my partner. extra. And that's fair. <laughs> she is a great chef. <laughs> well, we went down a separate rabbit hole here at the end, but I might. My- you went down a Whitney Houston rabbit hole in a rabbit hole, by the way. So we've been burrowing away this episode. That's true do we have to thank for all of this
0: all right well we have to thank kelly jolly harper for joining us on off the looking glass thanks to the iconic cheryl miller for sharing that story about my favorite pat summit we have to thank you jess for producing and co-hosting this show who
2: else and you kate also for producing and co-hosting this show and anya alvarez for helping us make Off the looking glass carl scott for executive producing the show And Joel Shupak for all of our audio design and sound mixing. All right. That's it. We're back, baby. Episode two. See you next week.